these verses down as we go along. Go back to them later and uh, take a look at those. If you are perhaps new to church or new to the Bible or new to what we're doing here this morning, uh, it's great to have you, and I hope that you'll follow along the best that you can. But uh, here's what I would recommend. As we go through, write these verses down. You'll see uh, them on the screen again, or you'll hear me reference them. If you have a Bible, you can go to the front of the Bible. There is a table of contents there that will tell you what page each book of the Bible is on, and you can follow that and go find the verses there. Or if you have a digital uh, version of the Bible, those are great, great tool, uh, very, very helpful. You can search there as well. So I would encourage you that way. Take notes, write these things down, and you can go back and review them later. But do your best to stick with me. Colossians chapter 2. I'll begin reading in verse number 1 of Colossians chapter 2. Boy, I love the book of Colossians. Verse number 1. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order, and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Verse number 6. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. These are great words. The Apostle Paul is writing, and he's writing to a church that he cares a great deal about. Chapter 1 of the book of Colossians is incredible, in my opinion, one of the great chapters in all of the Bible. They're all great. This is one of the great, great uh, chapters in all of the Bible. Talking about the deity of Christ and who Jesus Christ is and what that means to us. In chapter 2, he comes, and he's trying to explain some things to the church, and he, he says something like this. He says, look, I love you so much. And I wish I could be with you all of the time, but you know it's not possible for me to be with you all of the time. When I'm away, I'm a little bit scared because I know that there are those who would come in, he uses the phrase, with enticing words. <laughs> there are those who would say things to you that sound pretty good, and they want to pull you away from the truth. And if I was there, I could fix it, but I'm not there. So here's what you need to do. This is great. He says, look, just as you have entered into a relationship with Christ by faith, Continue walking in that relationship. So simple, isn't it? We complicate this thing we call the Christian life, and Paul says simply, the same way that you entered into this relationship, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. I think for the purpose of our message this morning, uh, if I could paraphrase just a little bit the words of the Apostle Paul, he would say something like this. Uh, that moment you entered into a relationship with God through Christ, that wasn't supposed to be a one-time event that happened and then you never looked back to again. That one-time event when you entered into that relationship with Jesus Christ is an event that should impact every area of your life for the rest of your life. The gospel message is not intended to be something that happens once over there. The gospel is something that should be every day of your life. The gospel is not every day in that it would be common or ordinary, but it should be every day in that it impacts everything. I wonder as we jump into this this morning, if you've ever had an event 
take place in your life that changed everything. You ever had an event like that? Now, if you've had an an in-and-out double-double, that's not what I'm talking about, although that has probably changed your life. Maybe not every aspect of your life, though. (laughs) It changed my life the first time, and just about every day since then. We're talking about those big things, those big things that you identify with, the things that you probably couldn't separate yourself from, even if you tried. Sometimes those events are bad events, or the traumas and the trials and the difficulties of life, those things that happen, and they set the, the, the stage and, and really define us for the rest of our lives. Sometimes they're bad. Sometimes they're good things, and we like to focus on the bad, but often these life-defining moments are good. More often than not, those things that define our lives are neither good or bad. They're things that happen that cause us to be how we are and think the way that we do, but they're neither good or bad. Maybe they have good and bad aspects. All of us have these things, and you have yours. I have some of these events that have taken place in my life. The, the act of being born has changed me in ways that I will never fully understand. Just being born <laughs> changed my life. Beyond that, a lot of other things, as you grow up, one of the defining moments of my life was my time in the Marine Corps and then off into combat. It was a short, relatively period of time in my life, but it changed me. It changed how I look at the world and how I, how I think about the world and the people in the world. I couldn't separate myself from that if I wanted to. I got married and marriage changed me. Now me, it changed for the better. My wife, she may say it changed her differently. But it changed me for the better. (laughs) It was one of those good events in my life. When I became a husband, it changed how I looked at the world. It changed how I function. It changed how I think. Probably no event has changed me as much, however, as becoming a father. If you have children, you know that there are probably few things that will ever happen in your life that will change you the way that having a child come into your life will change you. Becoming a father changed the way that I look at everything. I now view the world from the perspective of my kids. When I wake up in the middle of the night and worry about things, which happens frequently, (laughs) shouldn't happen frequently, it does happen frequently, nine times out of ten, I have a thought like this, how is something that may happen in the future going to impact my children? These are the things I worry about. When I consider politics (laughs) and our community and life, So often I I view them from the position of my kids. How is this going to impact my kids? It's changed everything. It's changed my role. It's changed who I am. I'm a dad, and there's nothing that could ever change that. It changes the things that I do because I want so badly to be a good father for my kids. Here's the thing about becoming a dad, though. Uh, It's not, becoming a father, intended to be a one-time, scary, kind of messy, if we're being honest, out of control type of event. It's not intended to happen once and then you observe that and then you walk away from it. Becoming a father is something that happens and then impacts every part of your life for the rest of your life. I couldn't change that if I wanted to. For better or for worse, I will always be a dad. In fact, there are people who biologically are fathers, but after biologically parenting a child, 
they decide that it's not worth it or they don't want to be invested or they wish it hadn't happened and they walk away from that one-time event. You know what doesn't happen when they walk away? They don't stop being a father. But we look down on that, don't we? We use very strong language. We may use phrases like this, they're a deadbeat dad. <laughs> we may say something simpler, they're just kind of a loser. They were involved in the, the birth of this child and then they just turned around and walked away like they didn't care. It was just too much for them to handle. Now, I know there are people who look at a child and say, I can't handle that, and they make arrangements for someone else to take care of it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about someone that wants to pretend like it never happened. Now, imagine that same person, the deadbeat dad. <laughs> the child grows up, and they've never invested, and yet they find themselves on a Father's Day, and they're upset that they didn't get a Father's Day card. Can you imagine that? Maybe they get upset because they're not invited to the various family activities and events that take place. When that kid grows up and they get ready to graduate high school and they're giving their valedictorian speech, because we all believe that our kids are going to be the valedictorian, even though, statistically, most of your children will not be. <laughs> Maybe not all of mine either, I don't have any idea. But they're giving the valedictorian speech, they're thanking every person in their life, and they fail to thank their father. Can you imagine how sad it would be for that dad who's never invested in that child to get upset that they weren't mentioned in that speech? You see, the reality is that only one person is responsible for the relationship that does not exist with that child. And that one person is the dad the biological father who wanted to pretend like it never happened. He never stopped being a dad. He just stopped investing in that one-time event, that event that should have impacted every day of his life. You see, in our lives, there are those one-time events that are intended, just like becoming a parent, intended to impact every day of our life for the rest of our life. And if a relationship does not exist on the other side of that, we are the only ones who bear responsibility. The biggest event that ever took place in my life happened on May 3rd, 1981, the day I accepted Christ as my Savior. I know it seems like a long, long time ago, because it was a long, long time ago. <laughs> it was a Sunday afternoon that morning in Sunday school. A teacher had asked if everyone there knew that they were going to heaven when they died. It's a good question to ask. I didn't know that. <laughs> I told her I didn't know. She said, go home and talk to your dad. I'm not sure that's the best way to handle that, but that's how she handled it. I went home, I talked to my dad, and on that Sunday afternoon in Kokomo, Indiana, my dad prayed with me to accept Christ as my Savior. That was a long, long time ago. Most important single event that ever took place in my life happened in my parents' bedroom in Kokomo, Indiana on May 3rd, 1981. But if I'm honest, and I'm going to be honest today, because <laughs> I'm preaching, <laughs> it's bad to not be honest when you're preaching. You catch me later, maybe I'll get into the gray a little bit, but right up here I'll be honest. <laughs> if I'm honest, I have not always lived my life as a reflection of what I became the day I placed my faith in Christ. 
In fact, I've had long periods of time in my life where I did not live at all like I had become a Christian, that I had a relationship with God. And so often, because I don't like to accept responsibility for myself, when things aren't working out well, when I feel far from God, or my relationship with Him is not what I would like for it to be, or my relationship with others is not all that it should be, often in those moments, instead of accepting responsibility, I like to blame other people. I blame God. Why is he so far away? I I blame my wife and my kids and my family. Sometimes I blame the church. I I blame anyone that I can put the blame on because I don't like to be responsible for my own actions. But here's the reality. There is only one person that's responsible for the relationship I do not have with God as a Christian. Any guesses? (laughs) It's me. I'm the only one that's responsible Like the father who never invests in the relationship with their child and then is upset that there's no relationship on the other side. If we don't invest in our relationship with God every day of our lives, we have only ourselves to blame for the distance we find between us and Him. You see, there are these events that take place in our life that are intended to impact every area of our lives for the rest of our lives. I don't think I'm alone here. I have conversations all the time with people that will say things like this. I feel so far from God. I tried God, but he just didn't work. (laughs) That one is hilarious to me. If you ever come up to me and say, hey, I tried God, he just didn't work, I'll probably laugh. I'll do my best to help, but I'll laugh first. (laughs) God didn't work. I'll say things like, I try to be close to him, I just don't feel close. Or, uh, I've heard about this joy and this peace and this hope. I've, I've heard about these things, but I've never experienced them. I, I believe that God has a plan, but every relationship in my life is a mess. It's just not working, and it must be God's fault. Can I say something to you this morning? I want to read it so I get it right. The gospel is not intended to be a one time religious event, but an eternity-altering encounter with Jesus that touches everything in our life, every day of our life. The gospel is not intended to be a one-time religious event, something that happens over here because of a circumstance in my life or the appeal of a preacher or some other thing that's happening. It's not intended to be a one-time event, but something that impacts everything. And yet, for many of us, we like to believe that it happened over there, but it has no impact on how I live. Again, the verses that we just read, if we just looked at verses 6 and 7 of Colossians 2, Paul said it this way, As ye have received Christ, walk ye in Him. He said, I can't be there. There's a lot I'd like to say. Other people are going to come in and try to draw you away. Here's the best advice I can give. Live an every day Gospel. Let your relationship with Christ impact everything that you do. Now, as we jump into this, I understand (laughs) that in our world, it's difficult to live this way. I mean, let's be honest. I know we're in church, right? I know everyone looks like they've got it all together. You guys look very nice today. You walk in with your Bibles. You sat in the right place. No fistfights in the parking lots. Didn't cut each other off while you're trying to park. We're on our best behavior here. But the reality is, the other 99% of our lives, it's like a fist fight from the moment we wake up. 
Just trying to make it, trying to get from one side to the other, trying to do the best that we can. And if we're honest, living a life that reflects the gospel that is Christ in us is extremely difficult. So how do we do it? I want to give you some thoughts this morning. These are thoughts. These will get you started. But hopefully they'll get you down the road. How do we do it? How do we live in everyday gospel number one? Understand and accept. Understand and accept. So often I believe our struggle with living out the gospel is that we don't fully understand what the gospel is. Even as Christians, we struggle with this a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1. There's so much of the Bible that we struggle with, and there is so much that is clear. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 15.1, the Apostle Paul, he says this, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. Stop there. So we know what he's going to say, right? He's going to say, hey, here's the gospel, the good news. I'm going to explain it to you. I declare it to you. But then he goes on, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received. I find these verse, or this verse and these phrases so comforting. Here's what Paul says. He says, I'm going to declare, I'm going to explain to you the gospel, which I've already explained, and which you have received. You understand what's saying? What he's saying? He's saying, you know this, you've heard it, you've accepted it, now I'm going to explain it to you, because apparently you're not very smart. <laughs> you know it's possible to enter into a relationship with Christ and be on your way to heaven <laughs> and somewhere in life get lost in it all? We fail to live it out because we forget what it's all about, and Paul says, let me remind you what this thing is all about. He says in verse 2, By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory, that I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Verse 3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once. Paul says, here's the gospel. Let me boil it all down to its component parts. You needed a Savior. Jesus came. He died for you. Because he's God, he rose again after paying the price for your sin. And oh, by the way, this didn't happen in secret. There were more than 500 people that saw the resurrected Christ, and most of them are still around, so you can go ask them if you're not sure that this actually happened. It's not a mystery, it's something that actually took place. The gospel is something we need to understand, and it's something the apostle tried to explain to these believers. Here's why you need to understand it. Here's what we need to know. When it comes to the gospel, there was a need. There was a need. Paul explains this. I break it down. There was a need. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. What is sin? It's rebellion against the holy God. What does it mean to be rebellious against God? It means that God, who is perfect, set a standard that we cannot obtain because of our brokenness and our sin. And the Bible tells us that what we deserve for that sin, our wage, what we earn for that sin is death. Death is that separation from God forever. It's a spiritual separation. It will last forever. There is no hope. The place the Bible calls hell, there is a tremendous need. But that need brings the second part of love. There's a need we call the gospel, the good news, and we always start off with, you're condemned and on your way to hell. <laughs> There's the good news in that. We 
before we can get to the good news, we have to start with the bad news. The bad news is there's a need. The good news is there's a love. John chapter 3 and verse 16, you know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You say, how do I know that God loves me? Because he gave his only begotten son. In a world where I get beat down and, and I'm oppressed and I'm overwhelmed and I feel cast aside and I look around and don't see love, how can I say that God loves me? How can you say that God loves me? I can say that God loves me because in our deepest hour of need, when we were absolutely hopeless because of our sin, God sent his son. Why? Because he loves us. What an amazing truth. There's a need, but there's a love. And that love led to a Savior. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10 says this, that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save those who are lost. There is a Savior in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. I love this because it helps us to understand that Jesus came for us. He came to us. God does not stand there and say, look, I'm here, and if you can find me, and you can get to me, and you can get my attention, and you can convince me that you belong, then I'll accept you. He doesn't say that. He says, I sent a Savior, the Son of Man. He came to seek, that is to find, and to save, that is to redeem from sin those who are lost, and that's all of us. Do we understand the gospel? Do you understand what happened at that moment we put our faith in Christ? There was a great need responded to by a great love that sent a great Savior and led to a new life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says it this way, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things, they're passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You understand that the moment you place your faith in Christ, you become something different. Something you couldn't separate yourself from if you wanted to. You may allow it to stay here, but it was intended not to stay here, but to define your life and to impact your life every day of your life for the rest of your life. You're a new creation in Christ. Do we understand the gospel? You see, before Christ, we aren't pretty bad. <laughs> before Christ, we are dead. John chapter 3 and verse 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. If you haven't put your faith in Christ, the Bible says you're condemned, you're dead. There's a need. Responded to with a love that sent a Savior and provides new life. Before we can live out an everyday gospel, we need to understand and accept the truth of the gospel. Second part, though, once we understand and accept, we need to then adjust our vision. Adjust our vision. Again, a handful of verses here. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. Paul continues to build and to explain. Verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, For which cause we faint not. You ever feel like fainting? It's like the middle of January, and I'm already tired of this year. Can I get a witness? <laughs> this is stupid. <laughs> Maybe next year will be better. I don't want to do it anymore. I was so excited, now I'm not excited anymore. <laughs> Paul says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. 
While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen, they're eternal. Guys, you got to hang on to that one. I mean, put your hands around it. Live it. <laughs> we talked about this a little bit a few weeks ago when we were talking about hope. You know, you know what hope is? Hope is, is that circle around you that contains everything that is your life, and you're looking here. Hope is understanding that you can look up and know there's something bigger and better out there. Hope is having the ability to look to a God that transcends it all and not to allow yourself to be defined by what's happening right here. You know why so many of us struggle to live out the gospel every day? Because our eyes are firmly fixed on what we're dealing with right now. The temporary stuff that comes and goes, the stuff that will pass away, that gets all of our attention. And so when we hear people say things like you need to live out the gospel or live for Christ or walk with Christ, these things that we say, we look at our own life and go, how in the world is that even possible? And Paul would say, stop looking at the temporary and start looking at the eternal. It's bigger than this. Remember when you were a little kid and your mom would make you take a nap? How stupid that was. <laughs> I get so mad when I had to take a nap. I, I remember as a little kid, like I'd lay down on my floor in my bedroom and I'd close my eyes and count to like five just so I could get up and tell my mom I took a nap. <laughs> She's like, you've been in there for like a two and a half minutes. You didn't take a nap. Get back in there. I hated that. I hated bedtime. Like bedtime was like at nine o'clock for me, which is kind of late. I put my kids to bed at like 6.30. <laughs> I realize now that that's more for the parent than the kid, but anyhow, so bedtime. I hated going to school. I used to go to school, in elementary school, and, and I'm confessing all of my faults to you today. If you guys can relate to any of this, that's good for you, um, but it's helpful for me. I remember going to school, and you'd look at your parents and go, they have it so easy. All they have to do is go to work. I have to go to school for like four hours. Three hours of that is like lunch and on the playground, but it's terrible. I've got homework for 35 minutes. It's terrible. When I grow up and I go to work, I'll sit and drink coffee just like my dad does all day long. <laughs> now, every day of my life, at about 10.30 in the morning, I wish I could just lay down on my floor and take a nap. <laughs> Sometimes I even do, maybe. Bedtime is way too late now, like 6.30, I want to go to bed. I work now. <laughs> I realize how limited my view was as a little kid. You know what Paul says? He says, grow up. <laughs> you know what you need to do to get a bigger view of the world? You need to grow up. You know what you need to do to get a bigger spiritual view of the world? You need to grow up. You need to understand that what's happening right here in your little world does not define everything that's happening everywhere. That God is bigger. That this stuff is temporary. That it goes away. It doesn't matter because God is bigger than all of it. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us that if you do everything right with your money, you'll be wealthy. We have a financial peace class. The Bible certainly teaches that if you follow financial principles from the Word of God, that you will not be, listen to me, chained to things that prevent you from doing what God wants you to do. Now, maybe on the other side of that, you will be wealthy, but maybe you won't. You know what the Bible doesn't say? It doesn't say that if you live right for God, that you'll never get sick. Sometimes people get really, really sick who are really, really living for God. 
The Bible doesn't say every relationship will be great and everything will be fine. The Bible doesn't say that. What the Bible says is that on the other side of all of that, there is hope if your view is not right here and you understand that God is bigger and that eternity is forever. There's hope. There's clarity. There's a focus on others. When we adjust our vision, so much of what we worry about are things that won't matter a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, 30 years from now, a lifetime from now. As we put our trust, our faith, our hope in an eternal God. Adjust your vision. And then finally, you need to live it out. Live it out. I'll pause and make a statement. Salvation is a gift given to us freely by God. It's grace. It means it's unmerited. It's not something we deserve. You could never earn it or merit it. You couldn't work hard enough to have God love you any more than He loves you. He loved you enough to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place on the cross because you needed Him to. And I needed Him to. He couldn't love us any more than He does. Salvation is entirely a work of God. I'll say this on the other side of that. However... <laughs> Entering into a relationship with God through Christ, being born again, eternally saved, eternally forgiven for our sins, that is a, well, a moment-in-time transaction that happens because of God. But if we fail to move beyond that moment, we'll never grow in the relationship with God that He desires for us to have. We need to live it out. We've already looked at these verses a few times, but what did Paul say? He said, as you've received Christ, walk in Him. Verse number 7, he says, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, as you've been taught, abounding with thanksgiving. He's saying, live it out. God's not going to force the Christian life on you. God's not going to force His purpose and His direction and His will on you. God is not going to make you to become something that you do not desire to become. You will grow in your relationship with Christ as you live out your relationship with Christ. Three things and then we'll be done. Number one, or letter A, know your purpose. It's hard to live something out if you don't know your purpose. Know your purpose. Know why you're on this earth. Revelation 4 and verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure, they are and were created. What is your purpose? Your purpose on this earth is to give honor and glory to God. That's it. The rest of it's extra. Why do I exist to give honor and glory to God? Why do I work to make money and give honor and glory to God? Why do I raise kids so they can live a life that will give honor and glory to God? It's all about God and His glory. My purpose is for God. It begins by knowing your purpose. If that's it, then how do I get there? Number two, letter B, grow your purpose. These are deep. <laughs> know your purpose, grow your purpose. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. What does the Bible say? Say, look, your purpose is to give glory to God. How do I do that? You get in his word. 
You study His Word. He gave us His Word so that we would understand what He wants us to do, understand how we can give honor and glory to Him. You get around other believers who can encourage you in that walk. Why do we have small groups at our church? It's not easy. (laughs) It's expensive. It takes another night out of the week or sometime during the week. It's hard to organize. Why do we do it? Because we need to grow our purpose. Because we cannot grow in our relationship with God and understand our purpose and how to accomplish what He set before us without other people. We need to be connected to others. We need to be in a place where we can hear the Word preached and taught, and we need to study it every day. God, show me from Your Word what You want me to understand so that I can do what You want me to do. We know our purpose. We grow our purpose. And then finally, you need to go your purpose. I told you it's not deep. Know what I'm here to do. Give glory to God. Understand how to do that by studying His Word. And then do it. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. I ask you this morning, what would change in your life, in your family, in your workplace if you did that? If you said, in our family, our purpose is to give glory to God, we're going to figure out how to do that, and then in everything we do, every conversation we have, everywhere we go, the places we don't go, the things that we watch or don't watch, the entertainment that we get involved in, whatever it is we do, all of it will be done to the glory of God. What would that change in your family? What about your workplace? I'm going to work. I'm going to make money. I need to do that. Uh, But more than anything, I want to give glory to God. And in your community and on and on and on we could go, understanding your purpose and understanding how God has allowed us to fulfill that purpose and then just doing it will change everything. It allows us to live out an everyday gospel. The great thing about the Christian life is that you get to start where you are. Uh, Maybe this morning you think to yourself, I should have started sooner, I should have done more. Maybe there's some hard decisions that need to be made later today going forward. That's okay. You see, the same God that made salvation possible through His Son, Jesus Christ, cares more about having a relationship with you than He does anything else. How do we know that? Well, because Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says this, but God commendeth his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That word commendeth, it's great. That verse, here's what it means. It means God demonstrated. More than that, it means God introduced us to his love through his son, Jesus Christ. It's as if he, there's a handshake right there. God introducing us to his love. In that while we were yet sinners, when there was nothing we could do to deserve it. He wants to have a relationship with you. You say, well, what does this all mean? If I live this life, if I walk this out, if it's an everyday gospel for me, what is it that I should expect on the other side? Again, there are a lot of things in the Bible we don't understand, things that are confusing, but this isn't one of them. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it's so clearly outlined for us, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, and long-suffering, and gentleness, and goodness, and faith, and meekness, and temperance. 
Verse 24, he says, And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You know what he's saying? He's saying, look, for the person that walks out their faith, for the person to whom the gospel is every day, they can expect love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and kindness and meekness. And yet in most of our lives, if we're honest, we fight and we scratch and we work to get those things. And we wonder why it hasn't happened. And then we look for someone to blame and God would say, stop, stop, stop fighting, stop working and start walking out the gospel. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you've never put your faith in Christ, listen to me, today should be the day that that happens. God loves you. He paid the price for your sin. He's inviting you into a relationship with Him, one that will bring the fruit of love and joy and peace and hope. Will you accept His gift today? The gospel is not intended to be a one-time religious event but an eternity-altering encounter with Jesus that touches everything in your life, every day of your life. Now is the time to live out an everyday gospel. Father, we thank you this morning for your love for us. We thank you for your goodness to us. God, we thank you that as we've seen this morning, even though we were undeserving, you loved us so much that you provided a way of salvation, a Savior who came to seek and to save those who are lost. That's all of us. To provide the forgiveness of sins. God, we thank you so much for that truth. I pray, Father, that we would allow the truth of what happened at the moment of salvation, that new creation uh, becoming something completely different, that we would allow that to alter our trajectory in life, that it would change the direction that we go and the things that we do, that we'd live out the gospel every day. We won't always get it right. We're not perfect. But that, God, it would be our goal to pursue you, to live for you, and to do exactly what you want us to do in our lives, reflecting the purpose for which you've given us. God, I pray that we decide today, if we have not already, to live out an everyday gospel. For those who may be here this morning that have never accepted you as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they put their faith in you. God, you've so freely offered um, this gift of love and this gift of grace. I pray for the person that's never put their faith in you, that today would be the day they accept that gift. Thank you, God, for who you are. With heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, we're almost done. But before we close, I want to ask you this question. Maybe you're here this morning and you've lived the kind of life that has caused your salvation to be a one-time event instead of a life and eternity altering encounter with Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're here this morning, and in just a moment when I ask folks to stand, heads will be bowed and eyes will be closed. But maybe at that time you need to step out from where you are and spend a moment of prayer at the front of the church. And you need to ask God to guide you, to give you wisdom, to help you to understand how to live out the purpose that He's placed in your life. 
He wants you to have hope and peace and joy, to experience the love and long-suffering. But it will only happen as we live out the gospel every day of our lives. If that's you this morning, when we stand in just a moment, would you respond? Perhaps you're here today.